This is Keeping Current with Wayne Potter. I'm Wayne Potter, the host of Keeping Current, and I'm talking with Christina Morris, an Oregon writer. Her most recent novel, sold on Monday, is listed in the current New York Times fiction bestseller list. She has also written four novels published by an array of well-known publishers, self-published a cookbook, Grandma Jean's Rainy Day Recipes, and some novellas in the anthologies of Winter Wonderland and Grand Central. This has garnered her more than two dozen awards. Her writing forte is historical fiction. I'm with her today to talk about her recent novel to explain what inspired her to write it and explain some of the important steps she took to create such a moving novel. The novel begins when a journalist observes a mother selling two children when she and many other families were struggling to survive the 1930s Great Depression and the events initiated by the journalist, followed by a variety of ingenious outcomes. So, Christina, welcome to the Keeping Current program. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so let's start with the whole idea about <clears throat> what was the event that started you thinking about writing this novel? Absolutely. Well, it's called procrastination. <laughs> so you know how deadlines can absolutely are the, the best reason to start being distracted. And I was researching for my last novel before this, The Edge of Lost. You know, as you may know, it's an Alcatraz story inspired by the fact there were kids who grew up on the rock right next door to Al Capone and Machine Gun Kelly, which I was fascinated by. So I really should have been much more focused on that. It, I really had so much fun writing that book. And yet what happened was I was online researching for it, and I saw a link online that you know how tempting that is. When it <laughs> reads something to the effect of 50 the most shocking historical photos you have never seen. Oh, right. And you think, what 50 photos have I never seen? Right, right. Especially as a historical fiction author, there is no clickbait more tempting. So I ended up clicking on it and going down the rabbit hole. And what I found were all these photos that were pretty incredible. Some of them I had seen before, but the one that stopped me was the one similar to the one I described in my novel. The real photo is of four children sitting on a stoop in Chicago in front of their own apartment. And a mother is in the background, turned away from the camera, seemingly in shame, and a sign is posted nearby that says, Four Children for Sale, Inquire Within. And I was absolutely stunned by the photo, as you can imagine, as a parent especially, wondering how a parent could not only give up their children because you would hope that it would be for their betterment because you think that they would have a better life without you, but actually to ask for money in return. And as a mother myself of two boys, I struggled with that question. And as a writer, the what if questions popped in my mind of, of what would push a parent to that point, but also not just the the worst case scenarios of, of, of being this, you know, or even a, a worst character studies of what, how horrible could this person be to do this? And yet that would be the first knee jerk, easy reaction that we often too often have with soundbite news. Uh, and instead, I started wondering, what could the compassionate reasons be? And my mind started spinning with those ideas, and uh, that photo continued to haunt me for months and months. Mm -hmm. And the only other thing I'll add before we move on is, is what really then was the spark for the novel that really propelled the premise that, that moved it from just this photo of kids was the fact that it haunted me for so many months that I started researching the real photo and the real kids that appeared in it and trying to understand their true story. And what I found was a follow-up article that was in the Northwest Indiana Times about five years ago, 
republished in the New York Post soon after, and it essentially said that it essentially said that these children were all either sold or given away within two years of the photo being published in the Vedette Messenger in Indiana in what surprised me is in 1948. It was not the Great Depression, even though that's what it appeared to be at first glance, and about how these children had either been sold or given away, two of them for a total of $2, so that they could be farm labor. And the thing that really changed my story and really uh, generated a, a novel out of it was one sentence that said, some family members claim the photo was staged. And when I look back at the photographs, that sign was so perfectly painted, even reflective accent marks on the letters. And I thought, I just couldn't picture this mother painting that sign. And yet, it did not change the fact what happened to these children. But the what-if writer in me started to wonder about the possibility of a self-fulfilling element to it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, I understand that you didn't just sort of try to keep that whole idea to yourself. You may have talked with other people sort of to get their feedback on what they thought about that. And what what kind of incidents um, were those like? I did. I went to an author's breakfast soon after I first came across the photo, and that is exactly the kind of questions I was talking about, that that I wondered what could push a parent to this point. And when we were brainstorming ideas of what are the latest stories we're thinking of writing, that was the one that I put out there, but I said I just don't think that I can write a story like this. I don't think it's a book I would want to read. It just seems so unbelievably sad, and it wasn't until I came across that one mention that changed my perspective, of course, of writing it from a reporter standpoint and about how a photo could be very, very deceiving of what reality is and what our perception is at first glance and because of that, the ripple effects of our actions. And so when I brought up the original photo idea to the rest of them, it's funny is that the rest of the authors all agreed, yes, yes, how could a parent do that? There was only one, my friend Maggie, who turned to me and said, Christina, because they wanted to eat. And I thought, who am I to judge? I have no idea the true context of that photograph. And as I mentioned to you already, I did uncover the true story of it. And it is not the compassionate reason that we would have hoped and that the mother actually did take $2 for her oldest daughter and the son uh, that was just under her in age. They were seven and six years old. He didn't want to be separated from his sister. And so the farmer said, fine, we'll take him two for free. And the mother agreed to take the $2 total for the two kids, and she actually said in front of her daughter she was going to use it for bingo money. So it really is not the story I would have hoped. Uh, it's not what I would have imagined. It's certainly not what I wrote about, but but it did, from that conversation, propel me to start in researching more and find out what that true story was. Right. Now, this novel is a reflection on the, the what's called historical fiction. Um, can you sort of broaden the de definition of that? from this one story to maybe even your other story? What, what is historical fiction and how does it come about, for example? Sure thing. It really is. It's one of my absolute favorite genres to read. You know, you're supposed to write what you want to read the most. So that is definitely something I enjoy. I love learning about history, and I think historical fiction is such a fantastic way to reach readers with, when it's well-researched, with pieces of the past that could otherwise be forgotten that is for a reader that wouldn't necessarily pick up a nonfiction or textbook and learn about the past. And so I like to think of it as literary Advil. 
and that you get a sugar coating of a story on the outside and hopefully don't realize how much good stuff in history you're getting on the inside until it's over. And so for me, how I think of historical fiction is finding a nugget, usually, of, of a piece of history that uh, often, ideally, a lot of people don't know about and c- could possibly be forgotten very easily to history. And to take that and fictionalize a story around it. And so often I will have, and I know many authors do this, real people from history in their stories uh, that are well-researched and try to make them as, as authentic as possible. And uh, in my case, you know, I, I use sometimes a few real figures from history, but mostly they're fictionalized, but sometimes based on true people and certainly true events. And sometimes they're a combination of people. So I, I have a T-shirt at home that says, careful, or you'll wind up in my novel. Oh. <laughs> you know, and on the back it says, and it won't be pretty. So, <laughs> so you've had your warning, Wayne. All right. To do this particular novel, there was some necessary historical research for that to be done. So I thought maybe you could describe, uh, you know, define the different ways you may have approached your research. Yeah. Well, I love this time period already so much that I had written about the 1930s in my last book, In the Edge of Loss. Before that, I had mostly written about World War II, and so I definitely had more uh, knowledge and research experience from that era, from the 1940s, and talking to a lot of World War II veterans who were kind enough to pass along their stories. And so I had a, a, a nice idea of that time period, approximate time period, with the 1940s. I joke that I really spread my wings all the way to the 1930s with these last two novels because I'm growing as a person. And so I went back a a decade or two for the last two books. And so I want to say that I already had a a, a nice idea of some of the things from that time period to make it authentic. The the new additions to every book, of course, there's always new research. And with Sold on a Money in particular, what I needed to research was more about newsrooms at the time, and I can also touch upon my own experience growing, literally growing up in a newsroom, uh, but also you know, the newsrooms of the 1930s, of course, can be very different and also sometimes very similar to today. Uh, in Philadelphia and New York, the mobsters and the speakeasies and the laws of that time during Prohibition, uh, the, the kind of entrenchment of the, the mafia in a lot of business during that time, and even their use of the media at that time sometimes to trade stories in order to get better PR for themselves as businessmen, which I found fascinating. So those are some of the things that I, that I delved into for sure. Right, right. Now, um, there's a lot of things about the Great Depression that would impinge on this story. Were there any particular incidents and experiences that sort of you felt spoke to you uh, in the writing of this novel? I would say the first thing that pops in my head is being a mother. So having two children of my own and and wondering as a mother what would, like I said, push you to that point, and, and watching my two boys grow up. And so that, of course, is going to help me a lot in writing the children in the story and also the mother and how that affects her because of some choices that are made. There's also another character who is a mother, and I don't want to give too much away, but that she is also grappling. Actually, there's a couple mothers. <laughs> I thought of some more in the story. There's, I think there's a total of four. And, uh, and so they're all handling parenthood the best that they know how and, and uh, carrying sometimes guilt and shame for different actions from their past and how that all affects our actions today, of course, is what based, based on our past experience. Were there any particular uh, incidents from 
the depression period that would have sort of given you a sense of the severity of the things that they were facing? Were those things important in terms of your understanding of the problems? Yes, absolutely. I've been asked why I set the story during the 1930s rather than the 1940s like the original photograph. And like I said, I was surprised when it when I found out the photo was actually taken and published in 1948 because I think so often as a society we tend to look back at the 1940s and especially if we weren't alive during that, that period and think of it as a joyous parade uh, you know, parade period time of a post-World War II celeb- celebratory time for the country and and not thinking of it as having hardships for people. But, of course, as we know, that that's not true for everyone. And so with 1930s, I definitely want to set it during that time period because I think that we automatically think of the hardships of the Great Depression and and how that would affect each character's decisions in the story is very, very important. So when you have desperation and ambition combined in, in the story for several characters, it really changes a decision that you that you make when otherwise you might not have. Sometimes you would have think that was otherwise unthinkable that you would you would uh, you would do something in the story as the character does. So the the you begin in part one of your novel uh, with this quote which says photography is the art of observation it has little to do with the things you see and everything to do with the way you see them and this was a well-known quote from the a photographer named Elliot Irwitt now in your novel the key character is a uh, this journalist photographer by the name of Ellis Reed and uh uh, I would ask how important was his personal histories and values and motives uh, in terms of dealing with the way he looked at this incident of this sale? Mm-hmm. Well, because, and that is what I go more into with the story that I didn't necessarily expect to write about when I first set out to write the, the, the premise, but as you expand with each character, and to me how I like to write my novels is I start with this premise and... I start. I feel like I start to get to know the characters as I'm writing it, just like the reader would, in that I don't fill up the first 50 pages with a lot of backstory and tell you everything about their histories right. to help you understand why they're doing what they're doing. And instead, what I like to do is have them start to act, and you start to wonder, why would they do something like that? And they start peeling back the onion, just like you would a friend that you get to know. And as you get to know them more and more, especially when you travel with a friend, right? Sometimes you know them too well at the end of a trip. But you start unpeeling the onion and realizing that we all act the way that we do for reasons from our past almost mm-hmm. entirely. And, and so I felt the same about Ellis Reed. And the more that I start unpeeling the onion, and so to speak, about his past, the more it points to his childhood upbringing and the fact that there was a tragedy that happened in his youth that affected the entire family dramatically and that especially affected how he interacted with his parents and the uh, admiration, the respect that he strives for from his father in particular and somehow doesn't feel like he ever gets it. And there's a reason everybody, just like his father, acts the way they do. So could I describe your moments in interpreting his motives and so on, sort of as aha moments along the way? And uh, does it ever really come to an end, or do you keep wondering? (laughs) Or does it come to a point where you say, well, this has pretty much defined him well, and we can go on from there in terms of 
really knowing what the end is going to turn out to be. Right, yes. Well, you know, I think that I'd probably have to write a whole biographical book about each of the characters to fully understand them all, just like they have a whole life before this and yet before the story. Uh, but instead, what I focus on with my characters usually is uh, some bits and pieces from their past, and in particular, one very important moment or incident in their lives that helped really define who they were. And so, and I, I think of that very often like people. So I think that we're no different, and I treat my characters the same, and that, of course, our, our whole life and who, who we are and how we, how, we, how we interact with others is, is going to be influenced by things along our whole journey. But really, I think when we go back into our past, often in childhood, that when there's something dramatic or tragic and it happens in our childhood or our teenage years especially, I think that just helps form and shape so much of who we are and how, how we act. And, um, and so that's the same for him and many characters in the book. So did you know what the end was going to be way back in the middle or the three quarters of the way, or did you not find out until the end? Right. <laughs> you know, with this book, very often, I think it was pretty much the same with this one as many of my books, which is that I see them all as a movie in my head. And so I try to write down that film that I see visually. And so I often hear they read a bit cinematically, and that if they do, then that's definitely the reason why. With this one, I knew the beginning. I knew parts of the middle. I didn't know about all of those little uh, side characters, the secondary ones with their subplots, which are always so fun to explore as I keep writing. And I, I knew parts of the ending, but I didn't know exactly how it was going to end. I knew there were a few possibilities, and I didn't know for sure until I got close to that ending. There's the one book, I will say, uh, just because I've mentioned it already, The Edge of Lost is the one book that really surprised me. It was the only, because I, I tend to plot, because as a World War II author, you tend to need to know a bit about where you're going with your story ahead of time, because otherwise you'd be researching for 10 years oh. before you have <laughs> enough information from the battles and the events and the locations, et cetera, in order to write that novel accurately. And so with this one, I, uh, with The Edge of Lost, anyway, I, I knew that I was about, I want to say about a third through the book or maybe halfway through and all of a sudden the ending completely changed for me mm -hmm. and I realized a big twist that logically made so much sense to me and yet I never saw it coming and so that one was a thrill and that my editor came back and emailed me and he's not a gusher and <laughs> he uh, when you get exclamation points, it's a big deal. You know, it's that <laughs> teacher that doesn't give A's very easily and I remember distinctly him calling me and said, I never saw that ending coming. Mm. And so for a person who, whose entire job is to read all day long, I took that as a big compliment. Yeah, yeah I think it's exciting when you come to the end of the novel and something totally different occurs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's refreshing. I don't know if it's refreshing. It's a, it's a real new excitement yeah. at the end. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And with, with Sold on a Monday, one thing I did with that is that I gave the a flash forward of, uh, as you know, of, you know, toward the later in the book, um, you know, it's kind of one of those, like the movies I enjoy watching still that, that have that big climax sort of scene in the, in the start as a teaser, and then they back up, and they say six weeks earlier, you know, and you wonder, how did they get there in six weeks? And that's how I envision this book, is in that it, it sort of gives you sort of a climax part of the book, and yet backs up, and you wonder how all the pieces fit together to get you there, and very often it's not exactly the way you think. <laughs> Well, I'd like to look at sort of some contemporary situations that might reflect on how people think about your book. Uh, I would mention, for example, the whole 
the major issue of people coming across our borders today and the separation of children from their families. And there are, there are other uh, kind of things that are happening around the world where there are children that are no longer part of their families that become uh, used for uh, some horrible ends in the world. Uh, and I, and I, I don't know whether or not those kind of activities and terrible things that are happening affect the way people might begin looking at your book. I mean, I don't know if people bring this up when they talk with you or, you know, like when you meet with groups and so on. Yeah, that is definitely one of the topics that comes up. I, I know when I was writing it, I definitely wasn't trying to make a, a, a you know, announce a stance or make a point uh, politically by any means with the story. This is just something that has been happening since the beginning of time. And the fact that it is a topic that we are still talking about is important to me. That's important why we write historical fiction, because it brings up these topics that you think, wow, we really need to still be talking about this. And the more we talk about it, especially in uh, book clubs, are a fantastic way that, that people do this and that I visit a lot of book clubs, especially online, you know, it's FaceTiming and whatnot. And I love hearing how book clubs really push people outside of their comfort zones and encourage them to read books they normally wouldn't necessarily read, and yet they thoroughly enjoy them and they learn a lot from them. More importantly, they all sit around talking about topics like this, and it's not usually a topic that you do or should necessarily bring up at cocktail parties. And so it's a great chance for people. That I think that's why books are so important, and you, it helps create empathy for people that are going through these situations like like you said, you know, with whether it's children being sold, child, child trafficking, or World War II situations, and, and it humanizes all of those, and it takes it out of being a date and, an, and a statistic out of a textbook. But the other topics that do come up in this book, aside from separation of families, things that I did not plan on. You know, I, I knew that truth in journalism, uh, because there is a deception involved in my story, I knew that that obviously was going to be something that people wanted to talk about after the book, and but... What I did not count on were things like uh, mental, you know, the, a case of mental illness and single motherhood and women in the workforce and so many other topics that you think, oh my gosh, that really was all in there, you know, and, and things that we are still talking about. Right, right. Well, Christina McMorris, thank you very much for spending this time with me. It's been a pleasure to learn about your book and the way you approached in writing it. I think it's an exciting uh, kind of thing to have on the market today and I, I can see that you are very successful in moving forward in its sales and it's doing well in the New York Times. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I've been meeting with Christina McMorris, author of Sold on Monday. She's an Oregon author who manages being a busy mom and an author who actively gets out to sell her book. You can find out more about her on her excellent website you can find out what cities, bookstores, or book clubs she'll be visiting during the coming months on her website. So, Christine, thank you again. Thank you so much. There we go. Thank All you. right. <laughs> this has been another edition of Keeping Current with Wayne Potter.